0: finding our way to Ephesians. God, thankful for today. Grateful, God, that we get to be here and gather together as your people. <clears throat> grateful that we uh, are gathered together, God, as a uh, family in which you've placed us. And grateful, God, that we uh, get to study your word and grateful that, uh, that we know, God, that because uh, we're here, that, that you are here also. <clears throat> God, open up our minds, open up our hearts, and give us understanding today as we dig into your word. Um, God, I pray that, that I would be small and that you would be big. God, pray that you would speak to hearts today. Pray, God, that you would change lives today by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, thank you again that we can be here in Jesus' name. Amen. In Delaware, there was a 61-year-old woman who was given multiple medicines and synchronized shocks but never regained a pulse. She was declared dead. There was a 66-year-old man who suffered from an abdominal aneurysm during treatment for his condition. He suffered cardiac arrest and received chest compressions and defibrillation shocks for 17 minutes. Vital signs did not return. He was declared dead. And resuscitation efforts ended. In the United Kingdom, a 27-year-old man went into cardiac arrest after overdosing on heroin and cocaine. After 25 minutes of resuscitation efforts, the patient was declared dead. You're sensing a a theme here. In Missouri, an 18-year-old woman attempted suicide by overdosing on sleeping medication. Resuscitation was attempted but failed. And she was declared dead. Dead. A 45-year-old woman in Colombia was pronounced dead as there were no vital signs showing that she was alive. In Malaysia, a 65-year-old man at a hospital was pronounced dead. And at Edinburgh Royal Infirmary, a 49-year-old woman was pronounced dead as well. I've intentionally left out some parts of their stories that we'll get back to in a few minutes, but... Here we have a number of people, various ages, both men, both women, declared dead, uh, various things leading up to their death, but the end result, they're all declared dead by a medical professional. And as we get into Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at four different things in verses 1 through 10. One of these things that we're going to look at in verses 1 through 3 is how our disobedience has led to our death. Let's go ahead and just read verses 1 through 3. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. A few observations there. You and I, apart from Christ, we're dead in our sins. Not not a little bit alive, but we're dead. If if we read this correctly, we, we come into this world dead. We come into this world as enemies Of God, right? Note that that death it says is the course of this world. It says that disobedience is the passion of our flesh, following the desires of our body and following the desires of our mind. You you, you ever think about how passionate you are to follow the desires of your body, the desires of your mind? I've been thinking about it this week. For me, Um, I'm pretty passionate about it most of the time. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would have to admit that we're pretty passionate about following the things that we desire. The passions of our body, the passions of our mind. And Ephesians tells us that it's because of this this disobedience that we're declared dead in our our trespasses. Like all these people that we read about various things leading up to the pronouncement of their death, they were all declared dead. Right, you and I that are here today, apart from putting our our trust, our faith, our hope, our dependence in Christ, we stand declared dead. Not 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 a little bit alive. Right, death is one of those things. Like it's pretty pretty black and white. Like either you're alive or you're dead. Right, and in the pattern of the world, the pattern of, of of nature is that we come into this world with, with breath in our lungs, and at some point. The, the breath leaves us, it ceases to exist inside of us, and our physical bodies die. And we've read about an 18-year-old woman declared dead, a 66-year-old man, right? Age doesn't necessarily have anything to do with it, right? Ephesians is painting this picture, Paul is painting this picture for us that we stand right here, right now, apart from Christ, declared dead right laying on the table if you picture this and and the heart monitor it's just it's a flat line right there's no there's no pulse there's no rhythm if you are here today and you've not put your faith in Christ you've not put your trust your hope everything that you have in Christ th- this is speaking of you and and for those of us that have put our faith in Christ this is painting the picture of what we were before we put our faith in Christ You don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to read Titus chapter 3, verse 3. It paints this picture maybe in a little more vivid detail for us. It says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Right, what, what kind of a picture is that? Have you ever thought of yourself as being a slave to various passions? Right, the Bible tells us that we're slaves to various passions apart from Christ. And that those passions are foolish. That those passions lead us to disobedience. That those passions lead us astray. That those passions cause us to hate and to be hated. That those passions cause us to live in malice. That those passions cause us to envy. Right? And we're slaves to those things. We're in absolute slavery. right? Are, are you seeing the, the, the correlation here? We're passionate about our, our disobedience to God. We're absolutely passionate about it. <clears throat> Let me revisit these stories of, of these people who were declared dead. So the 61-year-old woman from Delaware, she was given multiple medicines and synchronized shocks and never regained a pulse. She was declared dead, but it was discovered in the morgue to be alive and breathing. She sued the medical center where it happened for damages due to physical and neurological problems stemming from the event. Can you imagine being the guy working in the morgue, right? (laughs) You see the toe twitch, you know? The 66-year-old man that that suffered the abdominal aneurysm, he had cardiac cardiac arrest during his treatment. After 17 minutes of, of shocking and chest compressions, they stopped and his vital signs were no longer there. He was declared dead. Ten minutes later, the surgeon felt a pulse. The aneurysm was successfully treated and the patient fully recovered with no lasting physical or neurological problems. The 27-year-old man in the United Kingdom who suffered cardiac arrest from a drug overdose. After 25 minutes of resuscitation efforts and after he was declared dead, 60 seconds after his declaration of death, a nurse noticed a rhythm on the heart monitor and resuscitation was resumed. And the patient recovered fully. The 18-year-old woman in Missouri who attempted suicide by overdosing on sleeping medication After she was declared dead, seven minutes later, her heart started beating and she started breathing on her own, even though she was in a coma. She regained consciousness five days later and was completely oblivious to what had happened. The 45-year-old woman in Colombia, there was no vital signs and so they pronounced her dead. Later, a funeral worker noticed the woman moving and alerted his co-worker that the woman should go back to the hospital. Right? Not 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 the morgue where this is the funeral, where like they got out of the morgue and to the funeral, right? Sixty five year old man who was in Malaysia, he came back to life two and a half hours after doctors pronounced him dead. And the forty nine year old woman at the Edinburgh Royal Infirmary came back to life after being dead for about forty five minutes. There, there's about 30, I don't remember the exact number, but about 30 some odd of these cases reported and the medical community has called this the Lazarus syndrome, where somebody is declared dead and for no apparent reason, they come back to life, right? Not, not a frequent occurrence, but uh, 30 some odd cases in, in the last, I don't know, 50 years or so that, that have been reported. Right, One doctor was quoted as saying this. He says, perhaps it's a supreme hubris. And if you're like me, you have to look up hubris. My, my vocabulary isn't that great. Um, in other words, saying perhaps it's a supreme uh, self-confidence or it's, it's a very prideful thing on our part to presume that we can reliably distinguish the reversible from the irreversible or the salvageable from the non-salvageable. Think about that as it would pertain to who God is. As it pertains to who God is, nothing is irreversible, nothing is non-salvageable, and we sit here today, some of us being declared dead because of our trespass, dead because of our sin. No hope outside of Christ, no hope just stuck as, as slaves, stuck in slavery to our passions, stuck in slavery to our disobedience, and, and, and God looks at us and says, I can reverse that. I've made a way for that to be salvaged. I've made a way for the dead to come to life. How cool is that? The, you read through the Bible, and the Bible is full of these paradoxes. Right? If, we, if we want to live, we have to, to die. If we want to be first, we will be last. All, all of these things throughout the Bible that are so counterintuitive to the way that we think, so counterintuitive to the way that we live, the exact opposite of, of what our conventional wisdom would say. But that's the God that, that we serve, is that he looks at death and he looks at, at disobedience and says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make a way for death to lead to life or for life to come out of of death. Right? How absolutely incredible is that? If we move on in Ephesians, verses 4 through 6, we see this correlation of of life and love. And in verses 1 through 3, we saw the correlation of death and disobedience. And now in verses 4 through 6, we see this correlation of life and love. And it says this, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised, up, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus right we were dead in our trespasses not 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 a little bit alive but but dead right romans chapter 6 tells us in verse 23 that the wages of sin is what that it's death right a familiar passage to all of us but it goes on to say that the gift of god is eternal life the gift of god not not something that we earn not something that we deserve not something that we work for As a matter of fact, what we deserve because of our disobedience is this death. I think a lot of times, especially for those of us who have maybe been in in church circles for a while, um, we tend to think we're pretty good, right? Because we we show up to stuff. We're we're nice people. um, You know, we're friendly. We we get along with most people. And and it's pretty easy for us to, to start thinking, you know what, I... I can see why God saved me. I'm, I'm a pretty good dude, right? I, I like people. I'm. I help people when I can. Like, you know, we start to to build ourselves up and have the, this this view of ourselves that that says we're pretty good. Ephesians would would speak to the opposite of that and say, no, we're we're not good. And as a matter of fact, not only are we not good, but we're we're pretty bad. We're really bad. We're so bad that that the only thing that can salvage us, the only thing that, that can reverse our disobedience is the power of God, the power uh, of his grace. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the story of Hosea, but it's one of, my, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and I think it just absolutely paints a beautiful picture of the gospel. And if you're not familiar with the story of Hosea, uh, Hosea was a prophet in the Old Testament, and God tells him to go and marry a woman who is going to be unfaithful to you like he tells him in advance right go marry this woman and she's going to be uh, unfaithful right and so hosea kind of knows what he's getting into and they have some kids and one of the kids god tells him name this one uh, no mercy the name of this kid is going to be no mercy and your next one you're going to name that kid not my people Right, so you're gonna you're gonna marry a woman who's going to be unfaithful, and you're going to have kids, and and two of them are going to be called not my people and no mercy, right? And and the mistake that we can make in in reading that story and and the way that it finishes out is that as God told Hosea, his wife is unfaithful to him, and God tells him. To, to go buy her back out of prostitution. Even though she, she's your wife, she belongs to you to go buy her out of this life of prostitution, to pay the price to, to save her from this life of destruction. right? And, and these two children, not my people, I'm going to make them my people. And, and this other one who is no mercy, who's not been shown mercy, I'm going to show Mercy. And the mistake that we can make in reading that story is to to look at Hosea and think, "Man, this Hosea guy—he's really cool. Um, Man, he put up with a lot." And so, man, I, I I gotta, I gotta be like Hosea. I gotta put up with all this this junk in my life because I see this example of, of Hosea. And here's the thing: that story is not in the Bible for us to look at Hosea and say, "I gotta be like Hosea." A story is put in the Bible to show us that. From the moment that we breathe our first breath, that, that we are not God's people. And from the moment that we breathe our first breath, God has not shown us mercy. And that as we live our lives, that, that we, as, as Hosea's wife is unfaithful to him, that we are unfaithful to God, right? This no mercy, not my people, the unfaithful wife, right? Those are pictures of you and me. Right, and Hosea is this picture of who God is. Right? Does, does that make the story a little more impacting to to kind of define some of the roles and some of the players, right? And and what they what they point to. Right. What What is it that that no mercy did to receive mercy? Nothing. God just declared, "I'm I'm going to show you mercy." Right. What is it that? No people did to deserve to be one of god 's people. Nothing God just declared you 're going to be my people i 'm going to be your God right What, what is it that that hosea 's wife her name was Gomer what, what is it that she did to to get off of this this path of disobedience and destruction? Not a thing. God through Hosea rescued her from her path of disobedience. God rescued her through Hosea from being enslaved to her passion. God rescued her through Hosea from her trespass. God, through Hosea, gave her life when she deserved death. And God has done the same thing through us, for us, because he loves us. Let me finish out this passage in Titus, and you can just, just listen um, Verse four of chapter three goes on to say, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us. This, this phrase, these phrases that we've heard in Ephesians that we've heard in Titus, but God, one of the greatest things that we read in the Bible is that, that phrase, but God. Right? Remember Titus 3.3 3 paints this picture of envy, malice, we're, we're haters, we're, we're being hated, slaves, disobedient, right? And then it says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. And why is it that he saved us? It goes on in verse 5 to say, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Not, not because we were a little bit obedient, not because we had a little bit of passion to follow God. Not, not because we were mostly enslaved, but, but we were just a, a little bit, had a little bit of freedom, right? No, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Because God looked at us and said, you, you've not been shown mercy, and I'm going to show you Mercy. And it goes on to say that that he does this by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, right? We were dirty and God cleaned us. We were unregenerate and God regenerated us. it says he poured out the Holy Spirit on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. He didn't just give us a little bit. He didn't just do a little bit for us, but richly he poured out the Holy Spirit on us. And why did he do this? Verse seven goes on to say that uh, being justified by his grace, that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. How incredible is this? Are are you getting a picture, getting a picture of grace in this, getting a picture of how little or really what, what we, what we can't do that, that God does Right? Our, our part of this equation is that our disobedience has, has us on a path to death. And, and God's part of the equation is that he loves us and that that leads us to life. Right? We, we read through this and there's not a whole lot in here that points to us and our effort and, and what we do or, or really any, any role that we play except that we play the role of, of the one that needs to be saved. We play the role of the one who needs to be washed we play the role of the one who needs to be generated. We play the role of, of the one who needs mercy. We play the role of the one who who needs to be God's people because we aren't God's people until we've put our faith and our hope and our dependence in Christ. Right? He goes on to say that this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to, to good work. Because these things are excellent and profitable for people. It, it would be one thing for me to stand up here and, and like, I could just stop there and say, okay, here, here's the, this picture of grace, right? God has done for you what you can't do for yourself. Now go go, be good. Right? Go love your neighbor. Go help people. Go and do a good job at, at your place of employment. I could tell you these things, and you could leave from here, even being a little bit motivated. Of okay, I'm, I'm going to do something nice for my neighbor today, or I'm going to show up to work tomorrow, and I'm going to I'm going to do a good job because because God is, is gracious, and we could work hard at it. And, and some of us might might make it through the day, doing a good job, right? So some of us might might even make it through tomorrow, or maybe till Wednesday. Right? Maybe some of us would make it through the whole week and this motivation would still be there to do good works. But, but what's inevitable, whether it's an hour from now or a week from now, is, is what? That, that we're going to fail at it. We're going to fail at it. We, we may have every intent to go love our neighbor until our neighbor does something to make us mad. Right? Until it becomes hard. We might have every intention to, to walk away from here, uh, show up at work at 8 o'clock tomorrow with the intent, to, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to represent God in, in my job today. We may have those intentions until 10 o'clock rolls around and now the day is, has become stressful for whatever reason. <clears throat> we, we, we may have those good intentions. We may not have, have those intentions, Right? Regardless, we're, we're going to fail at it. And I don't want that to be the message today to, to go out and, and to work hard and to put forth this great effort. Because what we've read so far paints a picture that where our effort and where our hard work leads us, it leads us to, to being enslaved to our passions. It leads us to deserving death because of our trespass. It leads us to deserving death Because of these things. And every time, that's that's where our effort leads us. Every time. So at the end of the day, and I I think we're pretty good at realizing that in our badness, right? In our bad state, that that it's it's too bad, right? We're we're too bad for, for God to look at us and to say, You're you're righteous. Right? I, I think we sometimes have a, a decent understanding of that part, but, but here's the other part of it is that our goodness isn't good enough. Our badness is too bad and our goodness isn't good enough. I think that's the part that we sometimes fail to realize about ourselves because we, we tend to think we're pretty good. Right? But, but if what we've just read is true, that, that doesn't paint a picture of us that's, that's pretty good. It doesn't even paint a picture of us that's a little bit good. It paints a picture of of you and I that that is absolutely horrible. Right? So at the end of the day, good or bad, none of it matters because none of it is is enough for us to be deserving of God's righteousness. None of it is enough for us to be deserving of of justification. None of it is good enough. None of it is enough. None of it. And, And... we have got to realize that we, we can't earn it. And like I said, I think we, we know that, but we've got to get away from this this view of ourselves that says, I'm, I'm pretty good um, because of the things that I do. Right? Reading on in Ephesians, verses seven through nine, we, we see this correlation of glory and grace. Right, We've seen the correlation of death and disobedience. We've seen the correlation of life and love. And in verses 7 through 9, we see this correlation of glory and grace. Verse 7, it was still in Titus. Verse 7 says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Think about that for just, just a second. That God in his kindness... Wants to show us his riches. Not not just here and now, but in the ages to come. Not not an age to come, but in the ages to come. In other words, through all of the ages. All of the rest of the ages. right? In other words, through the rest of time. That, that God wants to show us his kindness. He wants to show us his riches. Through Christ. In verse 8 it says... For by grace you've been saved through faith. and this, not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Right? Saved by grace through faith. And I think we need to clarify here for a moment what, what that means to be saved through grace, saved by grace through faith. Right? What, what, what is faith? Right? Most of the time we when we think of faith, we think of belief. We think of this mental ascent, right? We think of, um, okay, I, I just, got, I got to believe more. I got to believe harder, right? And, and, and God will deliver me from this trial in life if I just believe. And, and I think what the Bible would say that that faith is not necessarily belief. That, that's part of it. But belief doesn't encompass this idea of faith. Faith is not just this mental ascent, right? The Bible tells us that even the demons believe in God, right? But they're still demons. Right? So having this this belief that God exists um, really doesn't count for a whole lot at the end of the day. Right? How, how many of you woke up this morning and you, you looked outside, and before you went outside, you decided, I, I probably better grab a jacket or a coat? Right? And you, you did that because you looked outside and you thought, hey, it looks pretty cold. And you, you, like, you believed that it was cold. And so that belief that it was cold outside caused you to, to put on the clothes that you put on. It caused you to, to grab a jacket, it may have caused you to warm up the car before you pulled out of the driveway. Right? This belief that you held translated into action and it affected the way that, that you lived your life. And when the Bible speaks of faith, that, that's what it speaks of is not, not just this belief, not just this understanding, not this mental assent, but a belief or an understanding that affects what you do and it affects the way that you live. Uh, turn for a second, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11. This is like the consummate chapter in the Bible uh, on faith. And we're, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but just kind of hit, hit a few highlights through the chapter to try to get this idea of what faith is and what it means to have faith. We we read about the these. There's kind of two groups of people here in Hebrews 11. We read about of the, these heroes of the Bible names that many of us are familiar with—Abraham and Moses and Noah and Sarah—and you know some of the the bigger names and stories that we're familiar with. And then we read about this other group of people who uh, we don't even know their names, right? And and they they weren't necessarily uh, heroes in the sense that they that they did these great things like Abraham or like Moses, but. It tells us in the first part of the chapter that that by faith that Abel made a sacrifice. It says that, that by faith Abraham obeyed. It says by faith that Sarah received power. It says by faith that Moses refused to conform. By faith the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea. By faith the walls of Jericho came down. By faith Rahab didn't perish when she should have. Right, And these are all people and stories that, that probably many of us have some level of familiarity with. But if we pick it up in, in verse 32 of Hebrews chapter 11. It says, What more shall I say? For time would fail to tell me of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and women received their dead back by resurrection. Right? Sign me up for that. I want that. I want to set armies to flight. I want to shut the mouths of lions. I want to conquer. Right? When we when we think of faith, we think of the, like if I just can have enough... Faith, if I can just believe hard enough that, that maybe, maybe God will use me in that way. Maybe God will let me be the one to, to conquer. Maybe God will let me be the one to do these great feats, these things that, that people read about. And it's like, yeah, these would make great movies, great stories, right? But it goes on in verse 35 to say that some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered, mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And it says in verse 38, "...of whom the world was not worthy." wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. All of these, though, commended through their faith, it says. Right, Were were any of these people commended? Was Abraham commended because of what he did, because he obeyed? Was Abel commended because of his sacrifice? Was Sarah commended because of... She had a child in her old age. Was was Moses commended because of his refusal to conform? No. None of these people were commended for the things that they did, even though we we look at them and say, man, they did great things. Their commendation wasn't for the great things that they did. Their commendation, the Bible tells us, was because of their faith. And and we're going to unpack this a little bit more in just a second of what that is, but they were commended... For their faith, right? Were this other group of people whose names we don't know, were, were, they, were they commended because they were martyrs? Were these, these unnamed people, were they commended because they were sawn in two? Were they commended because they were destitute? Were they commended because they, they had to wander around and live in caves and hide in the skins of, of sheep and goats? Were they, were they commended for that? No, they weren't. Right? Does God commend you and I because we show up and we, we teach Sunday school, because we hand out bulletins, because we show up at work parties and, and help cut wood for needy people? No, God doesn't commend us for those things. Does God commend us because we we live in a third world country and we, we live very meagerly to, to take the gospel to, to people who might not otherwise hear the gospel? Does God commend us because we go to a foreign country and are part of an underground church? Does God commend us because of the sacrifices that that we make if we if we sacrifice comfort, if we sacrifice safety and well-being? No. God doesn't commend us for that. God commends us for our faith. Right? So 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 what is what is this faith if it's not belief, if it's not. Mental ascent, then what is it? All of these people in in Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12 goes on to say that in light of these witnesses, right, it says to to throw off the things that that hinder us, right, and and we're going to get into that in just a second, too. This group of people, they, they had more than just a simple belief. In God, they had more than just this mental assent that, that God is, is real and that God exists. These people in Hebrews 11, regardless of their circumstances, their entire dependence was upon God. Right? And, and for you and I, I think when we, when we think of faith, that, that maybe the word that we should connect it with is dependence rather than connecting it with belief. Some of these people, their, their circumstances weren't that bad, right? Some of these people, their circumstances allowed for them to do great things and to get notoriety for those things. And some of these people, their circumstances were absolutely horrible and horrific and things that we wouldn't wish upon our worst enemy. But they're commended because of their dependence upon God you see the difference between belief and dependence because there is there is a difference there are different things and so we're saved by grace by our dependence on grace we're saved by grace by our dependence on grace not not We're not saved because we we could just believe enough that we could believe hard enough that we could muster up enough belief. That's not not what saves us. What saves us is that we would be dependent upon God. And if Hebrews 11, if that chapter is true and I absolutely believe that it is, our circumstances don't really affect that. How, how, How many of us, the circumstances in our life would change that, that all of a sudden can, can shake our belief, right? Probably a lot of us. A lot of us have experienced things in life that, that have shaken our belief, right? And notice I'm saying belief and not faith, right? We've all experienced circumstances that, that shake the core of our belief. But if you look at this cloud of witnesses in, in Hebrews 11, Especially the ones who, whose names that we don't know. And did you notice that it said about those people that the world is not even worthy of those people? And, and, and I, I think their names probably are intentionally left out because it doesn't matter who they are. What, what matters is that, the, is that this group of people who the world is not even worthy of, who lived in horrible circumstances didn't it didn 't shake their dependence it didn 't crumble their dependence right Think about that for a moment it didn 't crumble their dependence because i think I think these people had an understanding of, of grace they had an understanding that my my path my path was was destruction and death and and the path that that god has now put me on leads to life and, and to love right and in that scenario who, who gets the glory for that do you and i get the glory for that we don't god is glorified in the fact that he saved us who were unsavable almost he He salvaged us who were unsalvageable, right? He reversed things in us that that had the appearance of being irreversible, right? It's this spiritual Lazarus syndrome at work in us. After our declaration of of death, God comes in and says, no, there there is a rhythm on the monitor. There is a heartbeat. There is a toe twitching. There is this, this indication of life where it was previously said that there was death. Right? If we finish out Ephesians chapter 2, the last verse, in verse 10, we're going to see, we see this correlation of preparation and purpose. Because all of this, it kind of begs the question, well, why, why would God do that? Why, why would God In my disobedience, in my unfaithfulness, in my destruction, in my death, why, why would God look at me and say, "I'm going to reverse that. I'm going to salvage that"? Why would He like? It doesn't make sense. We wouldn't do that with one another. We wouldn't do it. It's not in our nature, right? But but Ephesians two verse ten tells us that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're we're not our own workmanship, right? What what is what what does the American dream tell us? Is that, that we have to we have to work hard and that that we can we can build our kingdom, that we can we can have careers and we can save for retirement. And I'm not, I'm not saying any of those things are, are bad, but, but we're pretty good at, at building our own kingdom. We're pretty good at embarking on our own workmanship. We're pretty good at, at trying to, to build ourselves. And for some of us, we can sit back and look at what we've built and say, that's pretty good, right? I've built a good life for myself, but, but what Ephesians tells us is that, that we are not the result of our own workmanship, that we're the result of His workmanship, and that, that God created us for a purpose. And the purpose for which God created us was good works. God didn't create us so we could live our 60, 70, 80, 90 years on this earth and build our own kingdom. He created us that we would do good works and those good works it says that he prepared for us in advance God's not making this up as as he goes along right God doesn't see us take a left turn and thought oh I, I thought I thought you were gonna go right so now you know that's not not God. God has prepared this in advance and he has done it so we should walk in it remember at the very end of that Titus passage it says that it's that it's profitable and it's beneficial that we would do these good works. Let's jump back to Hebrews for just a second and and move into chapter 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so a few things that, that, we, that we see in there is that, that we're told to run the race that's marked out for us, right? Some of you guys here are runners. And how, how many of you guys have ever showed up at a race and, and the course hasn't been marked? It, it probably hasn't happened, right? That, that would be dumb, Right? Hebrews 12 tells us that that, that God has marked out a race for us. Right. And looking back at the, the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11. Some of them. The race that was marked out for them is that they set armies to flight. And for some of them. The race that was marked out for them is that they won great victories. Right. But for some of them. The race that was marked out for them is that they were sawn in two. And for some of them. The race that was marked out for them. Was that they lived a destitute life think about that right god already has a race marked out for you and marked out for me and and what we're told to do is that we just depend on him regardless of our race we're all in regardless of our race And so it begs the question: Like, how do we do this, right? How do we how do we endure? And some of you probably are thinking, what What, what if my race is a life of of being destitute? What if my race is being sawn in two, right? Some of you are thinking, like, I, I don't want that. I didn't sign up for that. And like, I've been thinking about that this week. For me, like, I don't want that, right? I didn't sign up to to live a destitute life. I didn't sign up for things to be hard. None None of us probably. Did, but but here's here's the thing. This tells us that 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 it's God who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. I don't have faith in me. You don't have faith inside of you. And so, in those moments and those difficulties in life, right? We we think we just need to dig down deep and and just muster it up. Well, the, the Bible tells us that we can't. We're not the author of faith. We can't create faith. We don't have the ability to create faith where there is no faith. God is the author of faith. God is the one who puts it in us. God is the one who perfects our faith. And so reading here in Hebrews 12, it just tells us to depend on the founder and perfecter of our dependence. If we think of faith in in those terms. God is the author of our dependence. God is the perfecter of our dependence. Right, and, and hopefully, as we're, we're coming to a close here through all of this, hopefully you're getting this picture that, man, I don't, I don't have a whole lot to do with this, and the, the thing that I do contribute to, to this mess is death, destruction, and disobedience. That, that's what I have to do with all of this. I, I contribute the mess to the situation, right? I contribute hopelessness to the situation, and, and it's God. who brings us back from death. It's God who breathes life into us. It's God who is glorified in this, and it's God who has a purpose in this. Not me, because if it were up to me, if this this hinged on my shoulders, and thank God it doesn't, but if this hinged on my shoulders, there's there's no coming back from death. For me, there's no coming back from death for you, if it's up to you. Right? Remember the Hosea story right out of the gate no mercy and not God's people. Right out of the gate. And it's God who says, I will show you mercy and you'll, you'll be my people. And I'm going to rescue you from this destruction. I'm going to rescue you from this path that you're on. I'm going to break your slavery to disobedience. I'm going to break your slavery to to the passions of your mind and to the passions of your body. And I'm going to seat you in the heavenly places with Christ and I'm going to pour out my riches on you for the rest of eternity. Not not just for a little bit of time, but for the rest of eternity, for the ages to come. How incredible is that? And and so if if you're sitting here today... And your dependence is on anything other than Christ. The, the Bible clearly tells you that you're headed for a path of death and destruction, and that the only the only way that you can experience this, this spiritual Lazarus syndrome that, that we read about is to depend on Him, because He's the author and He's the perfecter of dependence. It doesn't matter if life is easy. It doesn't matter if life is hard. I don't say that to to minimize anybody's circumstance, but it doesn't matter. What matters is that regardless of our circumstance, regardless of what faces us when we wake up in the morning is that we depend upon God and that we depend upon his grace in our lives. It's It's not rocket science. God didn't make this difficult for us to understand, but, but it kind of messes with us because we're so used to there being strings attached, right? We, we don't do things for people typically without strings attached, right? I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll help you out, but you know what, the next time I need help, I'm, I'm gonna call you first. Yeah, I'll come help you move, but you know what, when I'm moving, you know who I'm calling? I'm calling you, right? There's always strings attached when, when we do things for people, with God he doesn't attach strings God God says that you're going to be saved by grace through faith and you know what I, I'm even going to put that that faith in you I'm, I'm going to put dependence in you I'm going to perfect it I'm going to, to be gracious I'm going to, to give you that which you don't deserve recognize it and depend upon me for everything that's it and, and so, if I could just leave you with, with one one thought, um, and I've already said it, but just remembering for us that, that, that our badness is too bad, and our goodness isn't good enough, and thank God it doesn't depend on us; that it absolutely depends upon Him and His His grace in our lives. And so, so again, if you're if you're here today and you've not put your dependence every every part of your being your dependence upon God then today is the like what are you waiting for what what is it that's keeping you from depending upon God who is the author and the perfector of that dependence what is it about God's grace that, that that you aren't quite grasping one pastor uh says that grace is scandalous that it's scandalous that, that, that we, we can't get something for nothing. Like that messes with our mind to think about it, right? And if you think about like somebody that's done something nice for you, like we always question, like, why are you doing this? Why are you, what, what's your motive here, right? For, for you parents, when your kids come up and, you know, my kids the other day, they gave me some candy. Allie went trick-or-treating and she came up and she gave me some candy. And my first question is, what do you want? Like, what, like what, what's, your, what's your motive in this, <laughs> Right? That's, the, that's the way that we think. Grace messes with us. It absolutely messes with us. But today, God is showing us through these passages that, that his grace is real and that, that we need, whether you realize it or not, you need God's grace. Because without it, the only way that things will end for you is death and destruction. And with God's grace, the way things will end is, is life and love. awesome is that, that we, that we serve a God that does that? Let's pray. God, again, we're, we're grateful to be here today. And it, it just doesn't seem like enough to say that we're thankful for grace. It just doesn't seem like enough. And God, even as I stand up here talking about this, I don't I don't know that, that I fully understand it myself. As a matter of fact, I know that I don't fully understand grace. But but God, I know I know beyond a shadow of a doubt where I would be without it, what my life would be without it. And and so the only thing that I can say in response to that for me is is, God, thank you. Uh, But God, my my prayer today uh, for me and for all of us is that, uh, God, that you would create in us the ability to depend on you, God, and that you would perfect our ability to depend upon you. God, I pray that just as time goes on, that you would grow our understanding of grace, God, that you would grow our understanding of, of, of how bad we really are in and of ourselves, and how good you really are. God, I pray that you would grow our understanding, that you would just continually make the picture that we have in our mind of, of our badness and your goodness, that that would just continually get bigger and bigger and bigger. And God, that out of a right understanding of that picture, that we would we would do good works, not because we have to, not because we think it's the right thing or the good thing to do, but God, that we just have such an understanding of who you are and how good you are and, and and how bad we are and how much we need your grace, that the only way that we could respond to that is to do good works and that we would run the race that you have marked out for us, be it easy or difficult. God, help us to depend on you in all of it. In Jesus' name.